There's an interesting story in the book of Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, the greater context is this. The Israelites, the Hebrew people, were enslaved for Egypt for 400 years. God delivers them through mighty wonders, the ten plagues in Egypt, brings them out into the promised land. And what do the Israelites begin to do? They begin to grumble. They begin to complain. And they go to Moses. They say, Moses, why did you bring us out into this wilderness to die? There's no water. And I know God is providing food through manna, this bread from heaven. But we're tired of it. And we kind of want to go back to slavery in Egypt. As a result of their sin, as a result of their complaining against God, God punishes them and he sends these serpents into their camp. And these serpents began to bite the Israelites and the Israelites began to die. And once again, when they were in dire need, what do they do? They turn back to the God that they were just complaining about. And Moses then goes and he begins to pray for the Israelites. And God hears his prayer and he offers them a solution for their problem. He offers them a solution for their predicament that they made for themselves. And he calls Moses to form a serpent out of bronze. And then he is instructed to attach this bronze serpent to a pole and he lifts it up in front of the Israelites. Y'all familiar with the story? And he tells the Israelites, if you are bit by a snake, look up to this bronze serpent and you will be healed. And they were. God provided a solution to the problem of their sin, to the problem of their unbelief. And the problem of their unbelief was solved by faith. Was there anything special about that bronze serpent? It wasn't. It was, it was the idea that if you listen to God, you will then obey God and look to God. And in that act of faith, God will give you healing. I think that story, we believe it is a story, not a parable, not a fairy tale. It is given to us in Scripture with all the marks of a historical narrative, so we believe it as such, as a historical narrative. But I also believe that it can be a, a picture of how we deal with our sin. It's almost as if we are all snake-bit by our own sin. We are all underneath the weight of our own sin. And we cry out to God of saying, God, we need a solution. And so what does God do? But he raises up Christ. And when we look to Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. Wouldn't it be strange if these Israelites who are snake bit and they cry out to God and God provides them a way of health and salvation through looking at the serpent, if the Israelites said, you know, I know God has given us this serpent to look at and in faith we can be healed, but I've got this great home remedy back in my tent. I've got some, like in our house right now, it's coconut oil. 
You get bit by an ant, you rub a little coconut oil on it. It's like the greatest placebo, whatever. Um, but, uh, but it's like, you know, I've got some coconut oil in my tent. Let me go and put some coconut oil on that snake bite. Or, or they'll say, you know, I can handle the snake bite on my own. I'm strong. I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm just going to stick a Band-Aid on it and go on about my business. Like, wouldn't that be foolish? Like, the answer to your problem is right before you. And all you have to do is look at it. And in faith, God will, will give you his grace and bring you healing. But you're choosing your own home remedies. And you're just trying to tough it out and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. When Paul wrote the church in Colossae about their sin... He's saying this is what we're trying to do with our sin. This is how we're trying to overcome our own sin. That God has provided us a solution in Christ. But what we're trying to do in our own lives is we're looking for other solutions. What can we add to Christ? What else can we go to to, to solve the problems of our lack of hope and our lack of identity and our, and our sin that's bearing down on us. And so he talks about the true hope of Christ, but he also addresses these two counterfeit solutions. So that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at these counterfeit solutions to our sin. And then we want to look again at our true hope in Christ. First, the first counterfeit solution to our sin is kind of a confusing one. But the first counterfeit solution to our sin, Paul describes as the law of God. Look at what Paul says in the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink. In the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These things are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. These things that Paul lists out in chapter 2 verse 16 are all elements found in the Old Testament. And what does Paul say about them? He said, don't let anyone judge you in regard to these Old Testament laws. One of the earliest heresies in the Christian faith was a heresy uh, formed by a group of people called the Judaizers. The Judaizers were a group of people uh, in the early church. They were probably uh, Pharisees that came to know and believe in Jesus. Or they might be uh, priests that came to know and believe in Jesus. And what they wanted to do and what they began to teach within the Christian church is that if you wanted to be a faithful follower of Jesus, if you wanted Jesus' salvation that he offers, then the first thing you have to do is become Jewish. You had to become Jewish. Jesus was a Jew, and if you want his salvation, if you want his grace, then you have to become a Jew too. That meant that you needed to submit to the law in the Old Testament. So if you were not Jewish and living out in the Roman Empire... The Judaizers would say, well, now you need to be circumcised. Now you need to keep 
are dietary restrictions. Now you need to make sure that you are traveling to Jerusalem and that you are making sacrifices in the temple. And you need to make sure that you are keeping the festivals and the pilgrimages. And not only did they want Christians to become Jews in order to receive Jesus, but the Pharisees also had these other man-made laws around the laws. It was referenced in our passage even. So if you look in our passage in verse 21, he says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. So what these Judaizers were doing is they would take a law like honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy, don't work on it. And they'd say, well, that's the law we want to keep, but we're going to explain the law with other rules. So they said, well, what does it mean to not work on the Sabbath? And they say, well, really, man, if you walk more than a quarter of a mile, you're probably working. So if you walk too long, you are now breaking the Sabbath. Uh, or if, if you, uh, one of Jesus' disciples were criticized because as they were walking, probably less than a quarter of a mile, but as they were lock, walking along down the road on the Sabbath day, they got some grain in their hands and they rubbed their hands together to, to get the, the, the shells off of the grain so they could eat them. And that was seen by the Pharisees. And they said, well, you just broke the Sabbath because... By rubbing your hands together on that grain, you cooked. And since you cooked, you broke the Sabbath laws. And they had all these rules surrounding the laws. And what Paul is saying in the book of Colossians is these people who are saying that to receive the grace of Jesus, we have these laws that you have to fulfill. Paul is saying, don't let them judge you. The law cannot save you. In fact, what he goes on to say in the rest of the New Testament, that if the law does something to us, the law actually condemns us. And that's a good thing. What the law does is the law shows us our sin. That's what the law is intended to do. Paul was writing to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And this is what he says. But we know that the law is good. The law in the Bible, the Old Testament, is God's word. It is his revelation of himself. It is good. Provided, Paul says... One uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, he says, but the law is meant for the lawless, the rebellious, the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for slave traders, for liars, for perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching. Paul said, the law is meant for law breakers. How do we use God's law in the Old Testament? 
We use the law in the Old Testament in Galatians 5, or Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, we use the law in the Old Testament to show us how unholy we are. The law shines the light on our sinfulness and on God's holiness. And the verse that Jeremiah read this morning for our our confession of sin is found in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, it's a beautiful picture of, of Isaiah the prophet having a vision of God. And he says, I see the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple and the angels are on either side of him crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And what is Isaiah's response to seeing the holiness and the righteousness of God? His response is saying, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Here's a prophet of God, a man of God, looking at God and saying, I'm completely messed up and I have no hope. What God's law does is God's law shows us our hopelessness. It shows us that that we are not strong enough on our own to overcome our sin. And in doing so, it shows us our absolute need for Christ. Listen to what he says about these laws in Colossians chapter 2. He says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or on the matter of festival or new moon or a Sabbath day. Verse 17, These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. These laws were given to us by God to point us to Jesus. Let me give you a quick example of what I mean. We told that, that wild story about snakes biting people and Moses making a bronze serpent. And we think, blows my mind, that sounds crazy. But what is the idea behind that bronze serpent? That bronze serpent was a shadow. It was a picture of something else that was the reality. This is what I mean in the book of John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus at night and he says this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe in him is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Did y'all catch what Jesus said there? That that serpent that was lifted up on the snake for the salvation of the Israelites 
was just a shadow. But if you follow that shadow along the ground to its source, you find the reality. The Old Testament is a shadow of the reality of Christ who was to come. If we want to overcome the sin in our life, the answer is not, I'm going to man it up and by my own willpower and my own white knuckles, I'm going to overcome the sin in my life. You are wrestling something much stronger than you are. And you're going to lose that fight. That's trying to depend upon the law. And what the law does is it says, you can't fix yourself. So how do we fix ourselves? The law shows us our sin. And then in faith, realizing that we are beat and defeated, we lift our eyes up to the Son of Man who is lifted up so that we might have salvation and eternal life. When you look at the sin in your own life, do you feel the strength and the power of it? That no matter how hard you try, it's, it's just always right there with you. And you say, I want to be rid of it. The way we are rid of it is not by depending on the law, but by depending upon Christ. Lift your eyes up to Jesus. Trust in him and faith that he has already set you free. The law can be a counterfeit solution. In fact, he says about these laws around the laws, he says, that's really what that is, is it's legalism. And when we try to, to solve our sin on our own strength by creating man-made legalism laws, this is what he describes them as in verse 23. They have a reputation for wisdom by promoting a self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So if you're like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna white knuckle and defeat my sin on my own strength, Paul says, self-made religion, false humility, no value in curbing self-indulgence, but what it does is it produces within us a self-righteousness where we look at other people not living by our rules and we begin to condemn them because they're not living up to our standards, which we probably are also not living up to as well. The answer is not white knuckle obedience to the law. The answer is looking up to Christ. The next false solution that we find in our text today is a false solution of of, of, of like a mystery solution. You want to overcome your sin. What you need to find is the silver bullet. Don't we all want silver bullet solutions? How do I build wealth? Let me tell you a secret. How do I 
get rid of weeds in my garden? There's a secret solution, right? Secret solution is pulling them up by the roots. But I don't want to do that. I want the silver bullet. We're always looking for a simple, quick fix solution to our problems. Don't we even see this with like modern advertising? Like you've got this problem, we've got the right pill for you. It'll solve everything. You, you, don't, like, you don't like buying gas for your car? There was a child genius who came up with some technology that the oil industry has hidden from us for all these years. But if you click on this ad, we'll tell you all about it. Right? We want these silver bullet solutions. And this is not just in regards to to the difficult issues of life. We do this with our sin as well. Whenever Paul was writing to the church in Colossae, he was mentioning these, particularly in verse 18. Look at verse 18. He says, Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. There are some people who were going to the law to find salvation. They were going to the law to try to overcome their sin. There were other people who were going to other places. In the Roman Empire, there, there were these religions called a, a mystery religion. You ever heard of these mystery religions? They promised salvation. They promised a secret knowledge that if you went through the initiation rites, this mystery religion, you would be given the secrets to life in the spiritual realm. They were ungodly. They were completely pagan. But they also seeped into the church. Paul is saying in verse 18, let no one condemn you with these practices. In the English Standard Version, he says this, let no one disqualify you with these practices. What would these practices look like in modern churches? In the Middle Ages, oftentimes it was, it was things like uh, astrology and uh, horoscopes. And they would combine that looking to the stars to try to find out what the future held, trying to direct your steps. And we might look at that in the Middle Ages and say, well, we're, we're so far beyond that. But guys, in reality, we're not. We still live in that same world where people turn, they turn to horoscopes, they turn to astrology, they turn to tarot cards. Looking for an answer, looking for direction, looking for help. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus and tarot cards should not touch each other. They are different Faiths, they are different uh, trusts. To be a Christian 
and to try to seek future answers and tarot cards reading is, is ungodly. And I think sometimes we just say, you know, I'm, I'm not taking it seriously. This is just something I'm playing with. It's an entertainment. It's like baseball cards or Pokemon cards used to be for me as a kid. The answer is no. We look to Christ. Other modern iterations of these mystery religions, it's not just tarot cards. I think another big one right now that is, used to be considered fringe but is gaining is this idea of the, the QAnon movement. The QAnon movement started online probably back in, gosh, like 2017, sometimes just before the pandemic. Uh, and somebody got online and just started posting vague, um, vague truths on message boards, which kind of got people talking. And then it grew, and in being vague and speaking in riddles, offering hope, but hope shrouded in mystery, offering, if you follow me and listen to me, I will bring you enlightenment about the true things that are happening in our society. It has all the marks of these mystery religions that Paul is saying, don't go there. And the hard part is this. Oftentimes, as Christians, we start looking into other things for answers, for hope, and that ends up taking us in all these different rabbit trails and all these different rabbit holes. But here's the thing about rabbit holes. They don't lead you to Christ. They don't build up our hope in Christ. But as Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, we begin to delight in these things. And, and, and they just kind of draw us away from the true hope that we have in Jesus. So this would be my encouragement to you. Be careful who you read. Be careful who you listen to. Compare everything with the hope that we have in Christ and the truth that we have in Scripture. Be slow to give our hope and trust. In fact, don't even be slow. Don't give your hope and trust to anything outside of Christ. And be careful because when we post something, not really thinking that much about it, there's a danger that we would pull other believers with us into that same rabbit hole. The hard thing is that when we attach the name of Christ to any other outside movement, as that movement rises and falls, so we drag Christ to rise or fall. Does that make sense? So to attach Christ's name to something that is unholy is to smear 
our God. Let's be careful about putting our hope in anything outside of Jesus. Christ is described as a mystery throughout the New Testament. But it is not a mystery that is hidden, but is a mystery that is revealed. The fact that God became man and put on flesh and dwelt among us is a mystery. It was hidden. It is revealed and now can be shared with everybody without cost, without payment. We give Jesus away. The church is not clickbait. You want to know what we believe the hope is for the world and the hope for every individual? You don't have to click a thousand times to get to the answer. We just tell you our hope is in Jesus. And Paul reiterates this time and time again. He does so in today's passage as well. He says, Jesus is all you need. Look at what he says here in verse 19. He says, don't hold these mystery religions. Because those people, they don't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grow with the growth from God. Did you catch that? He said, if you want to overcome sin, if you are looking for hope in life, Jesus is the source of all that. He is the head. He nourishes it. He holds it together. He grows it. Nothing else is needed. I was joking in the last service, like I was giving my kid a bath last night, and you know what soap I was using? It's the best soap in the world. It's like three-in-one soap. It's got the shampoo. It's got the conditioner. It's got the body wash. I use that soap. I don't have to go to anything else, right? It's all there. When it comes to the hope of salvation and overcoming our sin in our life, it's all in Jesus. We don't need to reach for anything else. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. And this is how I want to encourage you today. It might be that you have been a Christian for a long time or a short time, but one thing we all know, regardless of where you are, is that we still drag around sin with us. Christ has set us free from it. We are not enslaved to sin anymore, but through our desires, it's still with us. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the solution we need. That just as the Israelites looked up to that bronze serpent in the wilderness, so we lift up our eyes to a crucified and risen Christ. And you might say, I've been doing that for years and I'm still plagued by my sin. It's still there. I think what the New Testament teaches is this. Keep on trusting. Keep on looking. The Israelites didn't say, I'm going to look up to the serpent and then go back to my home remedy. They kept looking. And it very well might be that the sin that is besetting you now that you want to be rid of so much, it might be with you. 
to the day that you die. I pray it's not. I pray that you'll be able to leave it behind. But if it is with you to the day that you die and you are still looking at Christ crucified and risen, he is still enough. He's still enough. Let us look to Christ. Let's not take our eyes off of him. Let's stand and pray.